Bibles and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. I do love paper like Brother Lambert does, but I also like technology, and I do have to plug it in, and I'm proud of it. So, (laughs) but I always use my Bible. I always do that. These are for my notes. And there's another. He said some things I'm sure were really confusing to you. There were some inside jokes that he was talking about that I understood, but he was just randomly saying, and you're probably just like, what in the world? And uh, he does that sometimes anyway. But you remember when he said, I didn't get a text message from Jesus today? Like other preachers, you remember that? Were you like scratching your head at that? Like, what in the world does that mean? Well, the story is, uh, when I, yes, coming home from vacation, we were stuck in Orlando, and we ended up having to spend the night. The airlines paid for a hotel room and all that stuff because Alaska Airlines is a problem. Anyway, (laughs) um, so we're at the hotel, and we don't have a car, so we can't go anywhere, but we need food. And Alaska Airlines gives us all of these food vouchers, but the food vouchers are for $12 each. And not only are they for $12 each, but they all have a credit card number attached to them with an expiration date and a CVC code. So in order for it to work or to use it, you have to punch in the credit card number, the expiration date, and the CVC code for $12. But you're trying to feed a family. And no food that you buy, you know, at an airport or anywhere else, you can feed a family for $12. Try like $65. So I've got to punch in five different times credit card numbers, expiration dates, and CVC codes, right? It's starting to be frustrating because I'm trying to like order food. And I found Popeye's chicken. I'm like, you know what? I'm thinking I'm feeling chicken tonight. And I wanted some chicken. And so I'm like trying to order because we don't have a car. We can't go get the food. And I'm trying to do this. It's just like, it's so frustrating. And finally, I'm like, you know what? This is stupid. I'm not going to do this. I'm just going to DoorDash it. And so I download the DoorDash app. I got on there and I ordered the food and it was, I paid for it and we're waiting. And what was awesome was that they give you updates as to where your order is and and if it's ready and when it's sent out and all those things. So I'm eagerly anticipating Popeye's chicken after this frustrating, long, you know, chaotic ordeal. And I'm sitting there in the hotel room and my phone buzzes and I get a notification and I open it up and I read, Jesus is going to be at your door with your chicken in, a, in one minute. And I was like, Jesus is coming with chicken! <laughs> And I'm like, oh, it's Jesus. Oh, my, my bad. I don't normally read that name other than Jesus, right? And so it was a, a funny thing. I was telling that story to Brother Lambert. <clears throat> that, and so, knock, knock, knock on my door. And I go to the door, and there's Jesus. And he's like, you Jason? And I'm like, yep, that's me. And it was all said and done. So I told that story to Brother Lambert. He got a great kick out of it. Then he awkwardly said to you, I didn't get a text message from Jesus today. <laughs> I'm like, I'm going to have to tell that story at some point just to clarify for Brother Lambert. It was funny. It was funny. At least I thought it was. You didn't have to, but it was, I thought it was. 
All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 4. No, it, it's not even here in my electronic notes. <laughs> I wouldn't have been able to put that on paper. All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Let's look at verse 6. In these things, brethren, I have in a figure transferred to myself and to Apollos for your sakes, that ye might learn in us not to think of men above that which is written, that no one of you be puffed up for one against another. For who maketh thee to differ from another? And what hast thou that thou didst not receive? Now, if thou didst, not, didst receive it, why dost thou glory as if thou hadst not received it? Now ye are full, now ye are rich, ye have reigned as kings without us, and I would to God ye did reign, that we also might reign with you. For I think that God hath set forth us the apostles last, as it were appointed to death, for we are made a spectacle unto the world, and to angels, and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but ye are wise in Christ. We are weak, but ye are strong. Ye are honorable, but we are despised." Even unto this present hour, we both hunger and thirst and are naked and are buffeted and have no certain dwelling place and labor, working with our own hands, being reviled, we bless, being persecuted, we suffer it, being defamed, we entreat, we are made as the filth of the world and are the offscouring of all things unto this day. I write not these things to shame you, but as my beloved sons... I warn you. Throughout the scriptures, God has always had choice servants. But the thing about the choice servants of God is that they've always had a spirit of humility about them. I think of Abraham. When Abraham was going before the Lord uh, to try to spare Lot and even spare Sodom and Gomorrah, the Bible says, as Abraham approached God, this is what Abraham said. Abraham answered and said, Behold, now I have taken upon me to speak unto the Lord, which am but dust and ashes. In Abraham's mind, he didn't feel worthy to be able to even approach God. Jacob, when Jacob was afraid that Esau was going to attack him, Jacob prayed to God and Jacob said these words. He says, I am not worthy of the least of all thy mercies, and of all the truth which thou hast showed unto thy servant. For with my staff I passed over this Jordan, and so on. He says, I'm not worthy of the mercy of God. I'm not worthy of the truth that God has given to me. Moses, for example, in Exodus chapter 3, when God commanded him to go to Egypt and stand before Pharaoh, Moses said unto God, Who am I? that I should go unto Pharaoh and that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt. I think of John the Baptist as well. When John the Baptist was answering those who were sent from the Pharisees and, 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 G, and John was pointing to Jesus Christ, the Bible says that John answered those Pharisees and he said, I baptize thee with water, or I baptize with water, but there standeth one among you whom ye know not. He it is who coming after me is preferred before me, whose shoes latch it I am not worthy to unloose. These servants of God in their mind compared to the Lord had a spirit of humility about 
them. Paul himself said in Acts chapter 20 and verse 19, serving the Lord with all humility of mind and with many tears and temptations, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything as of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God. Jesus himself, the ultimate example of humility. And you know Philippians chapter 2 and verse 5 that tells us that Jesus was in the form of God and yet thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And we could make a longer list of these servants of God, and one character quality about them is that they all had a spirit of humility about them. Now, when we come back to our text, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, as Paul writes to the church at Corinth, it's obvious that the Corinthian believers had not learned that character quality of humility. They were proud. They were saved. They were members of a New Testament church, but yet they were proud. They were arrogant people. And Paul confronted that problem by contrasting the sin of their conceit with the example of his apostolic humility. And those are the two things we find in the text that we read this afternoon, is the conceit of the Corinthians and the humility of the Apostle Paul. And those are the two main points. And notice, first of all, the Corinthians' conceit in verse 6. He says in verse 6, And these things, brethren, I have in a figure transferred to myself and to Apollos for your sakes, that ye might learn in us not to think of men above that which is written, that no one of you be puffed up for one against another. For who maketh thee to differ from another? And what hast thou that thou didst not receive? Now if thou didst receive it, why dost thou glory? The word glory means to boast. Why are you boasting as if thou hadst not received it? Now ye are full, now ye are rich, ye have reigned as kings without us, and I would to God ye did reign, that we might also reign with you." Here Paul talks about the Corinthians' conceit. They were proud. They were boastful people. And and contextually, what's going on here is that the Corinthian believers had formed these cliques or these groups. And they had done that under these spiritual leaders. And Paul writes in there when he lets them know, some of you say, I'm of Paul. You follow after Paul. I'm of Apollos. I'm of Cephas. And some of you who are really spiritual say, you follow after Christ. And they had formed these groups and these cliques and these spiritual leaders that they were following after. And the irony in it all was that they weren't propping up some spiritual leader for their sake. The irony is that they were actually puffing themselves up and thinking themselves to be better than others because I follow after him. You follow that? You understand that? It is all about their own pride, not the exaltation of some spiritual leader. 
And contextually, that's what's going on here as Paul is writing to them and making these statements to them concerning how conceited they are. Pride was the root problem of their divisions. So as they had started following these spiritual leaders, it naturally created divisions among the church because some are of this group and some are of that group and some are of that group. And you don't think like I think. And so naturally I'm better than you, right? Well, maybe they weren't saying that outright, but that's exactly what was going on. You know, facetiously, I would say, of course, I'm better than maybe Ron McCandless because I like Chevys and he likes Fords. So naturally I'm better than he is. Now, facetiously, we would say that, but you know what? We do that sort of thing in other areas of life without without saying the words, I think I'm better than you. Because I think a certain way, and I'm of this group that thinks this certain way. You don't think that way. Naturally, we're right. Does that make sense? Now, stay with me. I'm not going to intentionally step on your toes but I'm going to step on your toes and mine. Okay. It's for me too. These Corinthians had a pride problem. The root problem of their divisions in their church and the contentions among them was actually because of pride. Not because some were more right than others, but because of pride. They were proud about their human wisdom. They were proud about their human leaders. And again, not for the leader's sake, but to puff themselves up and to boast of themselves. This pride set them one against another. It was worldly. It was carnal. It was the cause of their divisions. And these verses show us what their pride actually was, and what pride still is today. And before we get into that part of the outline, I want you to note just a couple of phrases here so we understand what Paul is talking about. In verse 6, notice where Paul says here, And these things, brethren, I have in a figure transferred to myself and to Apollos for your sake. What are the things? that Paul is talking about. Well, we need to go back in the context to really understand that. But Paul says, I'm talking about these things, and these things I've transferred to myself and Apollos for your sake. And there's a reason for this, and I'll talk about that in a minute. But throughout much of the letter so far, Paul's been teaching them not to exalt human wisdom. And these things refers back to some stuff that Paul had already said. For example, in chapter 3, In verse 6, he says, I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither is he that planteth anything, neither is he that watereth, but God giveth the increase. Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one, and every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are laborers together with God. Ye are God's husbandry, ye are God's building. So here he uses the analogy of a a farmer. And he says, I've planted and Apollos watered. We all had different jobs in this. We all had a part in it. But God's the one who gave the increase. 
The one who planted isn't better than the one who watered. We all had a part, but God's the one who actually gets the glory for it. All right, you following this? So he uses the figure of a farmer. He also uses the figure of a builder in verse 10. He says, According to the grace of God, which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another buildeth thereon. But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereon. He says here, I've laid a foundation. Somebody else has come along and they've built on this building. But guess what? The one who laid the foundation isn't better than the one who did some building. We ought to take heed to ourselves. And he uses the figure of a builder. He uses the figure of a servant. In chapter 4, in verse 1, let a man so account of us as of the ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged of you, or of man's judgment, yea, I judge not mine own self. For I know nothing but by myself, yet am I not hereby justified, but he that judgeth me is the Lord. And in this case, he uses the issue of a servant or stewards. And Paul tells the Corinthians that he's applied these figures or these analogies to himself and to Apollos. What's the reason he did that for? Well, look at verse 6 again, the end of verse 6. He says, I have these things, brethren, I have in a figure transferred to myself and to Apollos for your sake. And here's the reason, that ye might learn in us not to think of men above that which is written, that no one of you be puffed up for one against another. The reason that he transferred in a figure or those analogies he applied to himself was so that they would learn not to think of men above which is written in the Scriptures. In other words, you, so that you learn to think of men in the, in the bounds of what the Scriptures have to say about them, not to exalt them above it. Paul applied these analogies to himself, that he might show them what true ministers should be. They should be humble servants and stewards of the Lord. Servants are faithful. Servants are to be meek, not proud. Stewards are to be trustworthy and submissive, not arrogant. And neither is any Christian to be proud or arrogant either. How are men to be viewed? Paul says within the bounds of Scripture, not to think above that which is written. According to this, always within the bounds of Scripture. So, when you're talking about, let's say, spiritual leaders, for example. Because Paul is applying that to himself. These Corinthians were following after these various spiritual leaders in order to puff themselves up. How should we view them? How should we think of them? Well, within the bounds of Scripture. First Thessalonians chapter 5. And look at verse 12. 1 Thessalonians 5.12 says, And we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you, and are over you in the Lord, and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake, and be at peace among yourselves. So here, when he's talking about those who are, 
who are watching over your soul in the Lord. He says, proper honor and respect should come to them, yes, for their work's sake in the Lord. He says you ought to know them. The word know means to see, to behold. Honor that that is given to them still should be within the bounds of Scripture. And when it's done scripturally and it's done rightly, it naturally brings about peace among the brethren. But when it's done unscripturally, and it's not right, and it's above the bounds of Scripture, what does it bring among the brethren? Division. That's where the Corinthians were at. Now, I'll tell you, I can understand this truth from a new perspective, and one that I have not personally observed in my Christian life until fairly recently. And it's disturbing how relevant the Word of God is to real life when we don't even know how relevant it actually is. But you know, it's right biblically to give some honor to pastors and teachers and so on for their work's sake. They're over you in the Lord. But that can go beyond the bounds of Scripture and it can turn into something that is not actually profitable or helpful or healthy for a body. And it can turn into something like man worship. And we have so much respect for the preacher. We have so much respect for the man of God that whatever he says, we're just going to do and we're just going to go with. But then there's another element that's like, wait a second. I don't actually see that in the Bible. I see it a different way in the Bible. And this doesn't seem to jive. And I don't know that I can get behind that and go along with that. And then there's this group over here that that says, well, if you don't do what the preacher says, you're like Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. You're rebellious. And then this other group is like, well, no, that's not really what it is at all. I just simply want to follow the Bible. What's going on here? And what do we have? Division in the church. You understand? Well, that's sort of what was happening with the church at Corinth. And Paul said, I've used these analogies here. And I've, I've transferred them to myself. I've applied them to myself so that you would learn. You would learn not to think of men above what the Scriptures teach. That God ultimately is the one. Christ ultimately is the one who is the focus and who gets the glory and receives the glory. But these people were proud. 1 Timothy 5.7 talks about those who rule well and who are over you in the Lord that are worthy of double honor. That honor still what needs to be within the bounds of of Scripture, and here's the, here's the truth, or here's the principle. Godly respect can very easily turn into ungodly exaltation when it goes beyond that which is written in the Scriptures. This only leads to fracturing and weakening the Lord's church. And the Corinthians had gone far beyond scriptural respect for ministers and had developed factions within the body that actually set them at odds one against another. But again, the ironic thing about all of that is that those leaders were not exalted for the leader's sake, 
But for their own sake, the leaders were simply used as focal points for the Corinthian believers' own pride. That's the key. So what is pride? Well, we find some things in this passage, actually, that are relevant to me and you to show us what pride actually looks like or is in the heart of people. Go back to verse 6. The first principle or first thought that we see here regarding pride is found in verse 6, and it's in the second part. So Paul said, I've transferred these figures to myself, and here's the reason that you might learn in us not to think of men above that which is written, that no one of you be puffed up for one against another. You know what pride actually is? Pride is an overestimation of self. Paul says here, so that you don't learn to be puffed up one against another. That phrase, being puffed up, it means a blowing up. It means to inflate. The term was used metaphorically to indicate pride, having an inflated view of oneself. Paul used that word four times to describe the Corinthian believers themselves. He used it three other times to warn them against pride in general. Pride is an overinflated view or an overestimation of ourselves. In siding with one leader over another, it naturally put those people at odds with each other because those people were not of the same thinking as me. You understand? You follow? It was leading them to think that they were better than their brothers and their sisters, see? Because I'm of this group over here, or I'm of this thinking over here. You're of that thinking over there. That one is wrong. Ours is right. We're better. You follow? I'm trying to make a point here. So I need you to, I need you to, to feed, I need feedback. Don't fall asleep. Pride in the heart is always an overestimation of self. It's an overestimation of my way of thinking. It's an overestimation of my opinions about things. And only by pride comes contention. That's what the Bible says. Oh, we got some contention going on here? Do we have some divisions going on here? Do we have different ways of thinking? You think a certain way about this, while this group of people over here think a certain way about it? And there's some division and some contention going on? Guaranteed there's pride in there somewhere. Because only by pride cometh contention. When we think that our way of thinking is right compared to others, or I have a view of my opinions about things. Now, that's key. Is it truth or is it opinion? We can preach the Word of God and preach truth all day long. We start preaching opinions to other people. And guess what? Guaranteed we're going to be wrong somewhere. My opinion is not better than another's opinion. We all have opinions. But see, in the Corinthian church, 
their opinions about this leader versus that leader wasn't for the leader's sake. It was for my own sake because I'm of this group. See, over-inflating of self or the value of self or the opinion of self. There's examples of this in the Scriptures. Go to Numbers chapter 16. Numbers chapter 16. I want you to look at verse 1. In context here of number 16 is Korah's rebellion against God, against Moses. In verse 1, now Korah, the son of Izhar, the son of Kohath, the son of Levi, and Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab and On, the son of Peleth, sons of Reuben, took men. And they rose up before Moses with certain of the children of Israel, 250 princes of the assembly, famous in the congregation, men of renown. And they gathered themselves together against Moses and against Aaron and said unto them, Ye take too much upon you, seeing all the congregation are holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. Wherefore then lift ye up yourselves above the congregation of the Lord. You see the challenge that Korah gives to Moses, who was God's appointed man, who was God's leader? And you notice what they did? They went and they gathered some men, people of reputation among the congregation. This will give us some clout. This will give us some meat, you know, behind what we're about to say. And we've got all of these famous, important people in the church, and we're going to gather this group together, and we're going to go stand in front of Moses. And Moses, we're really concerned about you. You take too much upon you. Seeing that all the congregation is holy, you don't need to do that, Moses. You know what their statement to Moses was about? It wasn't about concern for Moses. Moses, we're really concerned. You're really getting worn out. You're taking a lot on you. We really want to help. Is there something we can do, Moses? That's not what their statement was about. Their statement was full of pride. They wanted recognition for themselves. They were in rebellion against God's man and God himself. It was an overestimation of his own importance. You see that? You take too much upon you, Moses. We're all spiritual too. Now, there are situations in the church where the men have the Spirit of God in them. They can be led of the Lord. And they can be right. And the pastor could be wrong. That's true. But see, there's a different spirit that it's approached with when it's of the Lord and when it's humble and full of humility. It's not a spirit of overinflating or overestimating my own importance or my own understanding. You know, we can get that way sometimes. We can be judgmental. We can be critical of other people. And because I think a certain way and you don't think that way, my way is better, my way is right, and you're somehow inferior or you're somehow unspiritual, and look how much I know or how spiritual I am. 
Shame on us. Pride is always an overestimation or overinflation of how I think about myself or my opinions or my position or who I think I am. Paul says you're puffed up. You're inflated. You're inflated in your view of yourself. The next thing, when we're talking about pride, what is pride? It's an overestimation of self. It's an inflation of how we view or think of ourselves or our opinions. But the next part is ignoring dependence on God. This is what pride is. Ignoring dependence on God. Note what he says in verse 7. If you go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 4 in our text. He says here in verse 7, For who maketh thee to differ from another? And what hast thou that thou didst not receive? Now if thou didst receive it, why dost thou glory? as if thou hadst not received it. You see the questions he's asking here? He says, who makes you to differ from another? How are you different than anybody else? Why do you think that you're superior to other believers in the church? What makes you think that your group or your way of thinking is better than another person's way of thinking? You're made of the same stuff that they're made of. You're all redeemed of the same Lord. Why do you think you're better? That's what he's saying. Then he says, what hast thou that thou didst not receive? So he's trying to get them to think here. How are you different than anybody else? And what do you have that wasn't given to you? What makes you special as if you earned it all? Now, the truth is, what does anyone have that in some way or other has not been given to them? Let's just think of life, for example. Let's just start there. You had nothing to do with life, your life. It was given to you. It was given to me, correct? That's about as base as you can get. What about when you were a kid, all the care that your parents gave to you, the food you ate, the, the, the tender care and love that, that was given like to, so that you didn't die? <laughs> what about that? What did we do to deserve that? Our education, our talents. We're naturally gifted with things. Where did those come from? Well, I've worked hard and I've developed my talents. Were you born in the United States of America? If you were born here, you didn't choose that. It had nothing to do with that. It was given to you. So that's the, the simple thought that Paul is saying here. What do you have that wasn't given to you? If you're a Christian, if you know the Lord Jesus Christ, you've been given even more. And you know what? No matter how hard we might study in school or how hard we might work at our business or our profession or any other thing, we would have nothing except for what the Lord and many other people by His divine providence has given us. We would have nothing. 
James 1.17, every good gift and every perfect gift cometh from above and cometh down from the Father of lights. We are blessed. We've been given so much. And we don't have anything to boast in. If you're a Christian, you've got even more. You've got salvation. You've got eternal life. You've got God's Spirit. You've got God's Word. He's gifted you with gifts. He's given you love and countless other blessings for which we've done nothing and can do nothing to receive. All of those gifts are because of God's amazing grace. Yeah, amen. Why is that important? It's important because we have absolutely no good thing that we did not receive. And that's why Paul says the very next thing to them, if you received everything, then why do you glory? The word means to boast. If everything you have, you received, then why do you boast as if thou hadst not received it? In other words, as if you've earned it and you deserve it. And the truth is, what then does a person have to boast in in himself? Oh, I know things. I've got things under control. Why do you glory? What do you actually have to be proud of? Because you're just like everybody else. That only by the grace of God do we have anything. Amen? That's what pride is. Pride is ignoring a dependence on God. As if we've earned it or deserve it. There's a third thing about pride, and it's found in verse 8. Pride is being inflated with imaginary superiority. And I'm going to say it again. It's imaginary superiority. Verse 8 says, Now ye are full. Now ye are rich. Ye have reigned as kings without us. And I would to God ye did reign, that we also might reign with you. Now there are, those, some of those words might be confusing. And there are two schools of thought that exist as to what Paul is saying here. Some people assume that Paul's just simply being sarcastic toward the Corinthian believers. Oh, you're, 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 you're rich and you reign and, and you're full. But the other school of thought is a little bit different. Paul is rather asking them in a rhetorical way. Okay, you're followers of this group, you're followers of that group. You think you're better than others? Are you full now? Are you rich now? Are you reigning as kings without us? And that seems to make more sense in the context. Paul is rhetorically asking these questions because the obvious answer in each of those cases is no, you're not. And you think that you're prospering. You think that you're rich. You think that you're reigning. You think that you're full. You think you've got it all together. But in reality, you're none of those things. In reality, you're declining. And I wish you were, he says. 
so that I could have victory with you too. By the way, that's what the word reign means. It means to be victorious. And Paul is saying through all of your bickering, through all of your division that it's created because of your pride, you're not prospering at all. You're not prospering spiritual or otherwise. Rather, you've declined. And I lament this. And I would to God ye did reign, that we might also reign with you. His desire was for them that they would be victorious in their Christian lives so that I could enjoy that victory as well with you. But you're not victorious. In fact, it's the other way around. And it's an imaginary superiority. That's what pride does. It creates in us this false sense of who we are or where we are in our own life. Can't see it. We can talk the talk and we can talk about it with others, but we can't see it in ourselves. That's what pride does. And Paul says, this is what you are. This is your conceit. But I've transferred these things, these figures to myself and to Apollos, who are spiritual leaders, so that you would learn not to think of men above that which is written. And so none of you would be puffed up or inflated in your own minds one against another. Well, like I said in the beginning, Paul makes a contrast between their conceit and apostolic humility. And I want you to see that, what Paul says in verses 9 through 13. Look at verse 9. He says, For I think that God hath set forth us the apostles last, as it were appointed to death. For we are made a spectacle unto the world, and to angels, and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but ye are wise in Christ. We are weak. Oh, but you're strong. You're honorable. But we're despised. Even unto this present hour, we both hunger and thirst and are naked and are buffeted and have no certain dwelling place and labor, working with our own hands, being reviled, we bless, being persecuted, we suffer it, being defamed, we entreat. We are made as the filth of the world and are the offscouring of all things unto this day. I write not these things to shame you, but as my beloved sons, I warn you. Verses 9 through 13 can be summarized by several words that Paul gives here. Spectacle, fool, sufferers, offscouring, that means scum. These words describe Paul's condition in contrast to what the Corinthians considered their condition to be. Do you notice that in verse 10? He says, we are fools for Christ's sake, but ye are wise in Christ." We are weak, but ye are strong. You're honorable, but we're despised. You see the contrast, how they thought themselves? They thought they were sufficient in themselves. But Paul knew he had nothing in himself. And we learn a few things from this. First of all, we learn that humble este- the humble esteem themselves least, but the proud think themselves to be great. Paul says we're a spectacle of the world. The word spectacle means to place for public show. 
It was, it was about the arena or the theater. And when a Roman general won a major victory, it was celebrated by what was called a triumph. He would enter his home city in a great military splendor. He would be leading his officers and he would be leading his troops behind him. And behind those would come the group of prisoners in chains with the conquered kings and the officers prominently displayed for all to see. And so everybody could mock them. The prisoners were under the sentence of death and they would often be taken into the arena to fight to the death with wild beasts. That was the spectacle that Paul is referring to. In the spiritual battle that he was fighting for the Lord, he was considered that sort of captive. And the application is this. The life of discipleship is the life of servanthood. And the life of servanthood is the life of humility. A life that would make us a spectacle to the world. Listen, a true servant of God and a child of God who's a minister doesn't puff himself up, doesn't inflate himself up to others. He's there to serve. He's there to be humble. He's there to to, to make himself uh, available. He's there to to, to benefit and, and edify and build and grow. He's not there to tear down others so that he can make himself look better. The apostles were ridiculed. They were imprisoned. They were beaten. They were mocked. Eventually, they were martyred for the Lord's sake. That was in stark contrast to how the Corinthians viewed themselves. Oh, we're strong. We're honorable. Look at who we are as Christians. Look what I know. I'm better than you because you're a failure. You've done such and such. I would never do such a thing. You understand where it goes, how it goes? So often the root of that is only pride. He says we're fools. The word is moros. It means dull and stupid. It's where we get our English word moron from. Contrasting again, Paul points out that they were actually ashamed of being Christ's servants, which the world counted as foolish or moronic. They wanted glory. They wanted honor. They wanted the worldly recognition because of their love of human wisdom and love of themselves. Their pride caused them to puff themselves up, being self-deceived. So we learn that the humble esteem themselves least, but the proud think themselves to be great. Another thing we learn is in verses 11 and 12, and that's the the humble endure for Christ's sake, but the proud are going to avoid self-sacrifice. Look at this in verse 11 and 12. He says, I'll get to the right spot. Even unto this present hour, we both hunger and thirst and are naked, and are buffeted, and have no certain dwelling place, and labor, working with our own hands, being reviled, we bless, being persecuted, we suffer it. The humble are going to endure for Christ's sake, but the proud, they avoid anything that has to do with self-sacrifice. Sufferers, Paul says, 
It means to put up with. It means to bear. It means to endure. The apostles had come to know firsthand Jesus' meaning of foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. He says we don't have a certain dwelling place. He talks about being laborers, to toil to the point of fatigue and exhaustion. Paul worked with his own hands in a kind of work considered by many Greeks to be beneath their dignity. He was reviled. It means to abuse with words. It means to vilify. Being often vilified for no good reason, he blessed. It means he spoke well of. In spite of the fact that you are ridiculing me or tearing me down for no good reason, I still bless you. When he was falsely accused or even made fun of, he didn't come firing back. And that leads to the third principle found in verse 13, and that it's the humble maintain a spirit of forbearance. The proud are easily offended. Look in verse 13. Being defamed, we entreat. We are made as the filth of the world and are the off-scouring of all things unto this day. The word defamed means to slander. It means to speak evil of. And yet we entreat. He says, we call you near. That's what the word entreat means. Instead of firing back, they tried to make reconciliation. They humbly endured and had forbearance one with another in the spirit of humility. The proud in heart are the ones who condition out. They sure can tear somebody else down, but they don't know how to take it. The apostles genuinely considered themselves as Christ's slaves. Their concern was to be humble and faithful to the Lord. They didn't have time for jealousy or resentment. They didn't have time to come up with all the reasons why I don't like this and I don't like that. And I don't like the things to be different. They didn't have time for that. They were willing to suffer for Christ's sake. Because that gave God the opportunity to demonstrate His power in their weakness. He says we're the off-scouring. It means off-scrapings. It's referred to the crusty food of a dirty dish or a pot that was scraped out and thrown away. You know, after a good meal, there's that stuff that's left around the pan. It's crusty. It's burnt on. Not good for anything. You really have to <clears throat> scrape it out or fill it and let it soak. <laughs> that's what that is. The scum, the dregs. Those are terms that were often used of criminals or dregs of society. And it's clear that Paul is making a contrast here between himself as an apostle, a servant of Jesus Christ, and how the Corinthians viewed themselves. In fact, in verse 14, where he says, I write not these things to shame you, 
but as my beloved sons, I warn you. They proudly saw themselves as being on top, being better, while the apostles viewed themselves as being lowly servants. The world looked at the apostles as no better than the low class of society or even criminals. They were the religious scum, the dregs of society, while the Corinthians viewed themselves as something honorable, wanting that glory for themselves. In the conclusion, as we wrap all this up, a couple of things. Number one, it's easy for a Christian to get along in this world as long as he keeps the gospel to himself. But if we preach and we teach and we live God's word in front of this world, the world is going to take offense and we're going to feel it. The world resents being under the light of God's truth. It seeks to persecute and destroy it if possible. The world attempts to scour off or throw away anybody who is going to boldly hold to the truth of God's word. The Corinthians were kind of doing the same thing. That's why Paul says you're carnal, you're worldly, you're fleshly. Certainly we are not scum. Certainly we are not the dregs in God's sight. But we are nevertheless servants and stewards of the Lord. And here's the other application, and here's the other side of it that maybe relates to you and I as we relate to each other. We have nothing for which to boast except for in the Lord Jesus Christ. We have nothing to think of ourselves as better than others in this room. We're all one in Jesus Christ. And what God is looking for is simply a humble, submissive spirit. You know what? I might have some knowledge in something that somebody else doesn't. But that doesn't make me better, and it doesn't make me exalt myself over you because you think differently than I do in something. No, I have a responsibility as a humble servant of Christ to try to help edify and to build and to grow. That's my responsibility. That's your responsibility. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Nowhere does that look like I'm tearing you down to this level and because you did this or said this and I think differently that somehow I'm better than you or I know more than you. It's a shame because pride keeps us from seeing exactly what we are in our own life. We sure can point it out in other people. Amen? How many of you are sleeping and I lost you? I wouldn't see any hands because you're asleep. <laughs> I'll close with this. The Lord is looking for humility. The Lord is looking for submission out of His servants. A heart that seeks to edify and bless and to serve Him. This is the crux of the whole matter regarding the Corinthian believers. 
Pride brings contention. Pride brings division. Humility brings harmony in Christ. It was their pride that was the root of all of their problems. And somebody might say, well, we've got divisions in our church. We don't have unity in our church. Then what we ought to do is maybe start looking for the pride in my own heart first. And then seek to bring back and build up and edify and bring back the unity. Amen? May the Lord help us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. And Lord, help us to be humble and submissive even in the application of your word. I need my toes stepped on sometimes. And all too often, mine are stepped on first before it's ever presented to the people. What matters, though, is how we respond to it. Either in humble submission and yieldingness to the Lord to realign my thoughts and my life with truth and the Word, or to respond with pride and resistance, arrogance and rejection. Help us not to do that. And Lord, I pray that you would use your people and that there would be great harmony and unity in the body of Christ with a spirit of humility about all of us. That I'm simply a humble servant of the Lord. The only things I have are things that are given to me by the grace of God. I don't think of myself or anybody else outside of the bounds of Scripture. I don't want to. Lord, I just want to serve you. And I want to be humble before you. And how can I help build and grow and edify others? Lord, may that be our heart. And then may that be what is produced. And we pray that you would strengthen, restore, grow Plaque Road Baptist Church and her members. For the glory of the Lord, in Jesus' name we pray, amen.